Hey, thanks for listening to Time Limit. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoy connecting with the experts on the show to find solid advice on how to manage people, projects, and any other thing that comes your way. This week, I've brought my longtime industry friend and user experience expert, Paul Boag, to the show. He's here to talk about how project managers can better manage design processes. Paul's a top expert on UX and digital transformation and has worked with a lot of high-profile companies and even authored several books. He's currently offering a masterclass on digital project management, so naturally that's where our conversation started. In this conversation, he really opened my mind on the question, what is digital project management? Which is kind of funny because that's been the focus of mine for about 15 years with the Digital PM Summit and all of the other work and speaking that I've been doing. I experienced that kind of, why didn't I think of that moment in the conversation? And maybe you will too. Check it out. Hey, Paul, how are you doing? I am doing very well. It's lovely to speak to you again. It's been a while, isn't it? Likewise, it has been such a while. And I really appreciate you joining me on Time Limit. I don't know if you remember, but I don't know, probably five or so years ago, we actually recorded a conversation for Team Gantt and it lives on on YouTube. So you might want to check that out sometime. I I, bet, I I hate going back and looking at old stuff because, you know, A, things move incredibly fast in our industry. So whatever you said, you know, five years ago is totally irrelevant these days. And B, I just don't like seeing myself on anything if I can totally possibly agree. avoid it. Then why are we doing what we do? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There so you go. You kind of alluded to this. I We've known each other for a while. And I'm not sure if you actually know this, but... I started following you and attending your webinars back when I was kind of new to project management. Um, really? Yeah. And I, I remember specifically sitting uh, in a conference room watching a webinar about um, client management. And I always enjoyed right. your perspective on digital PM. Um, I'd probably go as far to say as, you know, as a user experience design expert, You've been an advocate for digital PM, and and I think that's Mm. really cool. And I'm curious why that is. Like, is that just a part of who you are? I I think it's uh, because I I consider myself a user experience designer in the broadest sense of that phrase. Um, So when I talk about designing user experiences, I'm not talking about just designing user interfaces. Um, But I come from a user interface design background, and I'm just sick of of user experience designers and developers are as bad. There's a kind of a, a traditionally, and I think it's loads better now, but they always used to be a bit of a sneering attitude about project managers, you know, that they didn't really understand, they didn't really get it. But when you, when you look at it from a user experience point of view, They've actually got a, a, a digital project managers have got a far broader and more comprehensive and holistic understanding often than those people that are down in the dirt, you know, working on on little parts of the project. And so from my perspective as a user experience specialist, you know, if you can if you can build up and win over and empower project managers uh, um, and you can. Uh, get them on board, then then you're laughing. Um, and, you know, in some ways, I would argue a digital project manager has almost more influence over the user experience than a user interface designer does. 
you know, which is a bit of a controversial thing to say. But there are so many things that make up the user experience that are way beyond the edge of the screens from things like performance through to, you know, to um, uh, how customers are dealt with. There's just an endless amount of different things. So, yeah. yeah. I would even go as far to say as the the PM is creating a user experience for the project and managing yeah. that experience, right? Like that that's a yeah. kind of a theme I've been toying with for a conference talk. You know, there is an experience designed to your project to make sure that yeah. it goes well for your team, for your clients or stakeholders and everyone else involved. I mean, I don't know whether you saw the the um uh, Steve Jobs film um that with Ashton what's his name in. Um in that film, there is this the brilliant line where Wozniak has a go at Steve Jobs and says, what is it that you do, right? He just didn't get it at all. You know, we've got these all these different people that all do contribute stuff. What do you bring to the table? Um, and he said, you know, that – and Steve Jobs' reply is, you know, you're you're an absolutely amazing musician, but I play the orchestra, you know, I'm, I'm, and for me, really, that's what a good digital project manager does is that he is the conductor. He or she is the, the person that is shaping the music. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. So I, I want to talk for a few minutes um, about your project management masterclass that you're running in October. Or I should say digital project management masterclass. Yeah. Um, I find it really interesting because in our past, you've kind of been really a self-professed non-project manager, <laughs> right? So now you're teaching a PM class. But I actually, I think it's really valuable because... I do think that ideas around how project management can or should function should really work for everyone involved. And learning from someone with a design background with tons of experience on projects can help to bring new kind of helpful perspectives to that role. So I'm curious, what kinds of things will you be teaching in that class? Uh, you're you're entirely right that I don't describe myself as a project manager. Um, and so, yeah, I did feel massively hypocritical doing this. But what had emerged for me is that, you know, I work with a large number of organizations um, and I'm very much a generalist. Um, and the thing that I was observing across organizations is that organizations were running digital projects as if they were just like any other project. Um, and a lot of the project management methodologies I see setting aside, you know, agile or waterfall or Prince two or whatever you want to say, what there is a kind of fundamental, um, belief within many organizations that, you know, you can just run a digital project like you would others, but there are fundamental differences in digital from other mediums. And that's the, the kind of thing that I wanted to focus on in this course is look, is go, well, okay, so what makes digital really powerful and what makes digital really unique? And how can we leverage that to, to create more efficient projects? So, so the two big areas really is that, you know, digital gives you unprecedented access to data you know, uh, huge amounts of information that normally you would never get within running a traditional project. Feedback from from users 
easily, quickly, um, as well as things like analytics and those kinds of things. So there is so much potential that that provides. And then the other is that somewhat unique amongst many projects, the raw materials of a digital project are free. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're building a factory, you know, you've got concrete and steel and all of those kinds of things that are massively expensive. And once you you start down that process, you can't get halfway through and change your mind because, you know, all of that that investment in the in the the materials will be wasted. Um, you know, it's the same like if you go to print with a printed magazine and then go, oh, no, no, we don't like that. You know, that's going to cost you a lot of money. In digital, it, it, I mean, you yes, you still have labor costs, but, you know, other aspects, you know, the actual raw materials are free. Right. So, so that I think fundamentally challenges the way that we go about running projects. And really that's, that's what I want to get across in this masterclass that, that, okay, so how does, how does that shake out? How does that then affect the way that we run projects? Um, and, and, and yeah, there's going to be nothing in, in really the course that maybe people aren't, you know, people aren't already aware of. We're going to talk about things like discovery phases, prototypes, alphas, betas, proof of concepts, you know, post-launch services and, and, and uh, maintenance. So all of those kinds of things, which are very normal thing, but within the context of, well, okay, how does that fit around what digital really is? I love it. You know, I've been talking about digital project management for I don't even know how many years at this point, and I've never thought of it conceptually in that way because I do get asked quite often, what's the difference between project management and digital project management? Mm. And you just nailed it. I mean, there's <laughs> data and free materials. Absolutely, that's yeah. it. So one of the things that you mentioned kind of about the, the overall process and something you'll be teaching is um, about the project discovery phase. Mm. Um, and I think that there's so much, at least in the way that I've experienced project discovery, um, there's so much that can be done in a discovery phase that would help a project to go well. Uh, whether the project's led by an experienced project manager um, a designer, a strategist, no matter what. But I'm curious just kind of to start start off, I want to talk a little bit about discovery, but how do you just define this, the discovery phase? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting one, the discovery phase. I think a lot of people are put off of it um, because they feel um, either their project is too small or they're, you know, we don't have the budget for a discovery phase or there's the attitude of, um, we don't have the time for a discovery phase, but you, in my opinion, every project, you know, even if I'm just doing a one page website, um, should have a discovery phase. It will just be a short one. You know, a discovery phase might be a two hour meeting, a one hour meeting. It could be, you know, but it could equally go on weeks. Um, but for me, there are kind of five elements that I, I personally always try, um, and include to a lesser or greater extent, um, in a discovery phase. Um, one is obviously the defining of your business goals and not just the defining, but the prioritization of your business goals as well. I think a lot of organizations have, um, you know, conflicting objectives in the project that sometimes are mutually exclusive. Absolutely. Um, and then the other thing, and then how we're going to measure those goals, how are we going to measure success? So basic KPIs. I mean, it's not 
rocket science, is it really? Um, then there's doing some degree of user research and then visualizing that user research in some way. Um, uh, so it's identifying your audiences, prioritizing your audiences, getting to know them at least a little bit, and then having that in, in some form that you can keep in front of you throughout the project. And then finally, you've got to look at the market and the, and the competition and the kind of broader scope that the project sits within. Um, so those are those are essentially the five bits that I focus on. But I mean, of course, everybody's different and runs projects in different ways. There's no right way of doing it, is there really? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it, it's about setting goals, setting expectations for what you'll do, and then turning mm. out the course for that that thing that you'll do. Mm. Um, I'm curious, who who would conduct discovery work? Mm. That's a really good question, isn't it? <laughs> it's very easy on something like this for someone to come on to a podcast and go, oh, yes, it should be this person, you know, <laughs> with, with, with authority. And, you know, um, in truth, it will be different for almost every project, depending on the context, depending on the surroundings. I mean, you know, discovery phases are, are an area that I'm hugely involved in as, mm -hmm. you know, from a user experience point of view um, and from, a, from the digital transformation work I do and all of those kinds of things. But equally, it could be a project manager. Um, you know, it could be the, the overall stakeholder, the owner of the project, the product owner. Um, uh, but equally, everybody wants to be, should be involved in it to some extent, you know, especially when it comes to things like identifying metrics. So different people would be involved in different parts. But I don't think there is a single answer. Do you think there is? No, What's I was trying opinion? to stump you, completely trying oh, to right. stump you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but so I think really um, – I think it's a full team exercise. I think mm. if you have parts of a team not involved in discovery um, and they're just responsible for reading a report or a set of goals or something like that, and I think you're you're kind of starting on the wrong foot, right? Like yeah. you're running the risk of people being disengaged with stakeholders and what they're looking to get out of the project. And I think, you know, th that doesn't mean that, you know, an entire team sits down and does uh, a series of stakeholder interviews spending, you know, hundreds of hours collectively. Yeah. Um, but but I do think that there is value in involving the full team. And I think kind of what I'm getting to is how does the PM support the process or even lead the process? Because I know that I've been in discovery uh, phases in a project where I'm completely leading it. I'm completely leading stakeholder interviews and there's something good about that um, because I know that I'm accountable and will act on information and share it with a team in a way that, you know, will keep everyone informed and hopefully on the right path. Um, but I don't know that that's necessarily the right way to do it because I think as a PM, I might be sitting on a call thinking, wow, this is not the right conversation for me to be having, which PMs have to be self-aware about, right? So it's, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I don't think that there is a right or wrong answer there, but I think the PM absolutely needs to be involved. Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I would, uh, you know, as with almost all project related things, the PM is, is, you know, right in the middle of things, aren't they? They're, they're, they're the, the heart of the storm. I think that the, 
the answer as well is somewhat dependent on on the type of project. I mean, the trouble is, is you and me, you know, we we tend to work on quite big projects, right. you know, where there is there is reasonable budget, etc. But one part of my my role is I'm mentorship. You know, uh, I, so I do mentorship and I do mentorship for agency owners and um, even freelancers sometimes. I mean, you've done this as well. And, uh, you know, in their kind of world, they might be working on a simple WordPress site or something like that. And and talking of a discovery phase has this grandiose <laughs> feel to it where, where it's got to be so big and so impressive. And I don't think it does. I think, you know, discovery... A discovery phase can be short and snappy or it can be long. It's got to be appropriate for the project you're working on. And and the size and scope of the discovery phase, to some degree, will dictate who's involved in it as well. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, and I, I completely agree. I've been on projects where, yes, there's a discovery phase, but it's a meeting, right? And yeah, I, I think one of the most important pieces that PMs are typically responsible for is getting to know and understand stakeholders, right? Like understanding yeah. the org chart and the hierarchy of the organization, how that's going to affect the project and the decision-making process, and um, really just kind of understanding the the personalities as well as the politics. Yeah. And I'm curious, are there any ways that you kind of recommend people kind of get in and into a project, let's say with an, a new set of stakeholders or clients and get to know them? Uh, for me, the key is is meeting with people individually. Okay. Um, it, it's really tempting to call a meeting because mm-hmm. a, a meeting is a more efficient use of your personal time. Um but in truth, there are several drawbacks to that. For a start, people hate meetings. Then there is the fact that um, people, you spend a lot of time sitting in a meeting where there is stuff that's not relevant to them. But the most important bit really is that when you meet with people individually, you, they will open up and you will get a, 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 um, a, a more comprehensive understanding of their their approach, their way of viewing things, um, the challenges and concerns that they have, which you just don't get come out in the same way necessarily in a meeting. Or if it does come out, it tends to be more confrontational. I, I also think politically <laughs> – that that puts you as the project manager in a stronger position because you know all the bits of the the jigsaw you know what everybody is feeling and thinking while in a meeting it's very easy to lose control you know because what will happen is that you know there'll be some disagreement between a couple of people and then everybody starts reaching compromise you're trying to compromise or find a way through and you as the project manager aren't in control of the shape of that compromise right. and how it's approached so so it's it's almost like a, a bit of a divide and conqueror approach i guess but that that seems quite a cynical way of putting it <laughs> no I, I i agree with you i think one-on-one meetings, if you can do them, are really good uh, because mm. they allow you to open some pretty, uh, sorry, they allow you to ask some pretty pointed questions about goals and intentions and intended outcomes and 
even mm. questions like how have you done projects like this in the past? How have they worked? You know, mm -hmm. and then doing a meeting and getting all of those people yeah. into a room and seeing how those dissenting points of view come together and, and yeah. how you can manage through those things. Right. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think personally, I think a discovery phase is completely invaluable to a project manager because there's so much that you can learn about how your project will succeed and potentially show you some of the the risks or issues that could make you fail. Mm. You are right in what you said, mine, that you can't, you, you need that follow-up meeting as well. You can't just have people talk to people individually because otherwise you don't get the group dynamics and that is very useful. And it also, it doesn't help build that that project team if you don't bring people together so yeah yeah it's it's a complicated one isn't it well yeah, it sure is. this is this is why i i'm not a project manager it's far too <laughs> far too much like hard work <laughs> well so i'm going to kind of fast forward a little bit in a in terms of process um you know when it, like what what about when it comes to a stakeholder or client feedback um you know that thing where you kind of pour your mm. heart into a deliverable, you present the work, and then in return, the client, you know, they'll miss their deadline or they'll give you a bunch of unhelpful feedback. I'm curious, yeah. like, how do you handle that? I, I manage feedback quite carefully. Okay. Um, so uh, there, are, there are kind of two aspects to it. I mean, obviously, you know, most of my feedback is is normally design related and everybody is very opinionated on design. Um, uh, so so I kind of. Um, uh, right. I, I lay the groundwork at the very beginning of the project by defining roles clearly. Right. So so, for example, I make it clear that it's the client's role to identify problems and it's my role to find solutions. So what that means in practice is um, what, what a client will inevitably do, right, is you present a design to them and they'll start going, oh, I don't like the green or can you, you know, can you move this or those kinds of, exactly. that kind of yep. feedback. Yeah. Um, now those are solutions, right? Okay. Um, you know, so the solution is change the color. But what you need to understand as a designer is you need to understand the underlying problem. So it might be that they want to change the color because they feel that it won't resonate with their target audience. Absolutely fine. I need to know that, right? I need to know what the underlying issue is. So that's why I define the role up, fr uh, the role up front as your, your job is to come back to me with problems, right? And I will then look at possible solutions. I'm happy to hear your solution, but if I don't understand the underlying problem, I can't make suggestions about how to solve it that might be different from you, right? So that's one thing I do. The other thing I always do is when I present a uh, my deliverable, my design in my case, um, I Again, I try and meet with people individually before I show it to a group, right? Now, the reason that I do that is because you can then tailor how you present that, whatever it is, to the person you're speaking to, right? So, for example, um, 
Jared Spall wrote a wonderful post that I refer to on a regular basis, which is why I can't convince your executive of anything and neither can you, right? And basically his argument was is you can't convince people of stuff that they don't care about or, or already believe to some extent, right? Bit of a cynical attitude, but I do understand where he's coming from. <laughs> um, so what you have to do instead is find out what they already care about and frame what you want to convince them of within that context. So if you're talking to um, a finance person, you talk about the cost savings of your approach, right? If you're talking to a marketing person, you talk about how it will increase word of mouth recommendation. If you're talking to a salesperson, you talk about how it'll increase conversion, etc., etc. Now, if you get if you meet with everybody in a group and you collectively present to them, you can't do that right? You can't tailor it for each individual person in the room. So right. that's why really by the time you get into that room, you need to have met with everybody. And actually it's just a rubber stamp exercise because everybody's already been convinced. So that's another thing I do. The final thing that I do is people, whenever you're presenting something, you know that certain people that you're presenting your deliverable to will have problems with certain things, right? So the, the, the classic one with design is, oh, oh I know that the marketing person's going to moan that the logo isn't big enough, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a stereotype. Like you know that do. one's coming. Most times. You know it's yeah, coming. You right. know it's coming. But what you do instead is you go into that meeting and you go, don't mention the logo, don't mention the logo, don't mention the logo, right? And the result of that is inevitably they mention the logo, right? And then you have to defend why, you know, you've used lots of white space or whatever else instead, right? But that's problematic for two reasons. One is it sounds like you're bull because you're you, you're only responding to them but more significantly than that is the fact that your um that person has already put their their stake in the ground they said i don't like the logo i want it to be bigger so it doesn't really matter how compelling you are at that point they're going to lose face if they back down and so they don't back down Right. Well, if you'd preempted that, if you brought it up as soon as you'd got in the room and you said, well, it might be that some of you are worried that the logo isn't big enough. Right. Um, then that gives that stakeholder. And then you go on to explain why it's not, you know, as big, you know, big as perhaps you, they, they'd hoped it would be. Then it gives the stakeholder, that person, the opportunity to actually go, you know, they've got a point without then losing face. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. It's manipulative right. and genius. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Yes, you can certainly. I don't think do it's it really manipulative. manipulative. I'm joking. I think that it's it's good preparation, right? It's knowing your audience, knowing who you're presenting to, and understanding yeah. what the outcomes could be. Yeah, and it's it's actually. It's almost, to be honest, it's applying user experience principles to your colleagues uh, and to stakeholders, which I do all the time. You know, so so you're you're tailoring your message, which you should be doing when you're talking to end users mm -hmm. to meet their specific needs. And you're also making it as easy and straightforward 
for that person to do what you want them to do. So you're not going to put up barriers like, for example, making them um, call you out in the meeting and then you making them look stupid because you'd already thought of it and addressed it. Do you know what I mean? Right. So it's, you know, and, 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 I, and this is the thing that I am always get so annoyed at user experience professionals over, my, my own colleagues, is they don't apply the same principles that they've learned about user management to to their own stakeholders and that just does my head in <laughs> that's really interesting yeah it's it's true it's um you get a lot of times people get so focused on the deliverable and getting what they want right like you spend yeah. all of this time researching and creating a thing and then someone comes in and gives feedback that you don't agree with that yeah. your first instinct is just to say no and push back uh but yeah you've, you've got to listen to those stakeholders and i love the approach that you take in um don't just tell me you want to change. Tell me why you want that change. Tell me what the yeah. problem is so that I can understand it and possibly come up with a different solution that could work even better. Yeah. I but really I, like I, don't, I don't close people down. Right. You know, I don't, I don't say to them, don't tell me your solution because they might have a good idea. Right. You know? right. It, it might, and that, that is another thing that I think is, is really important is, is, you know, to make people's opinions feel valued mm -hmm. um, and listened to. That's common courtesy, isn't it, really? Yeah, I think so. But I think, unfortunately, <laughs> a lot of people forget that, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it, things get intense on projects sometimes, at least on projects yeah, I've yeah. been on. Um, and, and everyone has the best intentions and wants things to go well. But uh, sometimes communications break down. So having mm. the kind of framework that you kind of just presented, I think, absolutely makes sense. So I, I, I want to wrap up. Um, unfortunately, we're at about a half an hour already. I can't believe it. Um, as you know, the show is called Time Limit, kind of giving a nod to the fact that everyone in business is doing everything they can to get a lot of work done with limited time and even limited resources. Um, and, you know, a lot of teams are even without project managers, which makes for even more work for those people. Um, and I'm wondering, what are your tips for kind of keeping projects moving when you've got just a little bit of time to focus on project management? Mm. To be honest, uh, one of the, it goes back to what we were talking about right at the very beginning about the unique nature of digital, right? And the fact that the raw materials are free, right? I think sometimes the biggest barrier in projects, the, the biggest delay in projects is is people wringing their hands and procrastinating over whether this is the, the right way to go, right? So the amount of time that's wasted debating over, you know, um, a, a particular approach or, you know, or decide, you know, iterating design endlessly to get it just perfect before we sign it off, right? But if you accept that the digital is easy to change and that actually you don't really know until you put it in front of real users and, you, you know, you get real data back, then actually that provides a huge freedom, right? It means suddenly that you don't need to be... Um, you know, agonizing over everything, you can just keep moving. Okay, perhaps it isn't exactly the right shade of blue. It doesn't matter. We'll we'll sort that post-launch, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and and actually I think in a lot of a lot of situations, the problem with projects is is people's willingness to make decisions. But if you make those decisions uh, um are not 
not set in stone that they can never be changed. That is such a big thing. I'm working with a client at the moment who is agonizing over their copy for their website and it's taking them forever to deliver copy. And I'm going, why are you worrying about this? You know, as long as what you produce is better than what you've currently got online, let's get it live. You can change it after, you know? Right. Yeah. I think it's a daunting thing when you're someone who hasn't been through a website redesign project or an app design project, you want to nail it the first time. You don't, I think sometimes those people, if they're not really experienced, they don't realize that it's really simple and easy to make changes. And in fact, you should make changes and updates as you proceed through time, through events, whatever it might be. So I I get why people are like that. But at the same time, I agree with you. Um, And I love the idea of always testing and leaning on Mm. those test results, you know, leaning on the data and the free materials that you have working on a digital project, because that's what makes that project unique. And that's what makes it ever changing and evergreen. And I've got, this annoys me. Oh, but we don't have time for testing. But seriously, you can do testing quicker than it will take you to have a meeting where you argue about it for three hours. Absolutely. You You can do it overnight. You know, you can hire a service and have those test results the next morning. Exactly. And I think some folks don't realize that. No, I don't think they do. And I, and, and I think that is a really big thing to get across. Don't debate, test. You'll get, you get answers quicker. And obviously, they're better answers as well. And you're saving yourself time, right? Because you don't have yeah. to do that testing. You can offload it to someone else who can recruit, do the testing, and give you the results really quickly. And before everybody goes, oh, yeah, but I bet that's expensive. It's really not. No, it's not. Yeah. You know, you're talking about a, a few dollars for each person that you're you're testing with, and you don't need to test with a huge number. Even testing with two or three is better than you making a guess internally. Right. Yeah. And I think not showing things to customers opens you up to a lot more problems, right? If if you're mm. not showing something to users and then you launch it and it gets really bad feedback, then it's on you for not testing it to begin yeah. with, right? And and it yeah. can it can ruin the perception of a product or even a launch because yep. of not, not testing and not validating ideas. So that's really good advice. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for joining me on Time Limit today. It's been really awesome catching up with you. And thanks for the new perspective on digital PM as well. I'm, I'm really into that idea and I, I appreciate that perspective. And I'm going to think on that a little bit more, but the the data and free materials is a a really interesting way to look at it. So thanks again, Paul, for, for joining me. I really do appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, folks, that's all for this episode. Check out our show page for more information about Paul Boag, including his own podcast, Boag World, which Team Gantt is actually sponsoring. And please do us a favor and rate our show where you get your podcasts. If you have any recommendations for speakers or topics, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you at podcast.teamgantt.com. Join us for our next episode, which will be all about personality tests and how you can use them to help your teams work better together. Thank you.